Hi there, welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week as Pastor Scott Smith concludes his series, Getting Your Faith Pointed in the Right Direction, with a sermon entitled, The Key to Spiritual Victory. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you. Have a great week. I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual victory. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever felt frustrated with life? Okay. Uh, maybe even all the times, I think I heard somebody say, uh, maybe even with your Christian walk. Um, uh, not at peace. Struggling with, with the things that you see going on around you. Man, there's so much going on in our world today. Just trying to reconcile all that can cause us to be dis- unsettled, Right? Uh, maybe even disillusioned with life, the way the world is, and wondering why, maybe wondering why your life hasn't turned out like you planned. I think we talked about that last week, right? How many of us 30 years ago thought we would be where we are today? Probably none. Maybe, maybe in your disillusionment, maybe even in your frustration, maybe you're even frustrated some with your own mistakes and failures, right? Um, and just just not walking in what we might call spiritual victory in your life. Now, this morning I want to talk to you about the key, I believe, to spiritual victory. But before we talk about that, as I was thinking about uh, this, I I want to define it for you. When I say spiritual victory, what are we talking about? What do we mean by spiritual victory? Because you might use that term and think something different than what somebody else thinks. And so let's define it this morning. So spiritual victory, as, as I'm going to talk about it this morning, is speaking of that ultimate peace of mind with God. Ultimate peace of mind with God. Now, as believers, if you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're here with us as well. As believers, We know that ultimate peace with God comes only through a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And by what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. So that is the basis. The reason we can have a relationship with him is because Jesus, we'll talk about that this morning, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to reconcile us to God. But what, I wanna, what I'm using this term spiritual victory to talk is more than that. That's part of it, obviously, absolutely. But I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about ultimate peace of mind with God and the circumstances of your life and the world and how all of that reconciles together. Are you walking in that? I'm not talking about everything being perfect in your life. (laughs) If you hadn't learned that yet, that ain't going to happen. And if it does happen, cherish the moment because it's only going to be for a short time. Amen? We learn that in life. And so I'm not talking about everything being perfect. I'm talking about having an ultimate peace of mind in which, in which we understand uh, and, and we are in peace with God, with the circumstances of our life, and how all that works together. So with that said, friends, I believe if we want to walk in spiritual victory, if we want to experience spiritual victory in our lives, then there are some truths that we must accept. There are some truths that we must embrace and that we must acknowledge in order to, to, to be, get there, be there, and continue there. That's what I want to talk to you this morning out of our text in Matthew chapter 26. If you've got your outline this morning, take that with you if you will. 
Number one, the first, the first acknowledgement, friends, that I believe we need to make and accept and truth that we need to, to wrap our minds around is this, friends, and that is that our failures in life often begin with overconfidence in ourselves. Our failures in life, we all said there were things we wish we could change, right? Heard a lot of amens or mm, with that, right? So what we need to recognize is that our failures in life often begin with an overconfidence in ourselves. Let's take a look at our text this morning in Matthew 26. Uh, Let me give you the context. Um, Matthew 26, we're in... We, we're in the, the same time frame as one of the passages we looked at last week. Okay, so last week we talked about um, Jesus serving, getting out and washing the disciples' feet. Remember that? We talked about that. This is different gospel, but same time frame, roughly. Okay, so now fast forward a little bit. Supper is over. They'd, um, they, Jesus and his disciples had celebrated the Passover together. Jesus had taught them what John lays out a lot of Jesus' teaching on that night and sat and taught them. In verse 30, right before our text, it tells us that they sung a hymn and then went out to the Mount of Olives. Then look at verse 31. Either, probably on the way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus wants to tell them something else. Look at what he says. It says, then Jesus said to them, all of you, Speaking to the 12, uh, to the 11, actually, um, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. Um, they will, the word means to, that you'll be offended by, you will, you will be ashamed of. Later on, he, here in a minute, he uses the term, they will deny him. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now imagine yourself being a disciple, walking with Jesus, or maybe there at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus says this. There are two things you could focus on there. The first, he says that you'll be made to stumble. The second, which the disciples seem to gloss over, is that after I'm raised, we're going to Galilee. They focus on the first. And look at verse 33. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. It's just like Peter, right? Confident, right? Jesus, he looks at all the rest of them and said, I don't know about you slubs, but I will never never stumble. Not me, Jesus. Not at all. So Jesus looks Peter right in the eye, and here's what he says. Peter, assuredly, I say to you that this night, tonight, Peter, before the rooster crows, tonight, before sun comes up, Peter, you will deny me three times. And what does Peter do? Okay, Jesus, if you say so, whatever you say. No, that's not what he did. What Peter doubles down, right? Peter says to him in verse 35, Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And look at this last part. Okay, because we we put all that on Peter. And so said all the disciples. Yeah, that's right, Jesus. We're not going to deny you. We won't deny you at all. We're going to be with you till the end. Listen, as is his usual manner, Peter, Peter jumps out hard in front, right? With great confidence. And Jesus, I'm with you to the end. 
Now, the reality is Peter would be with him to the end, but he had to learn some things first. Amen? He had to go through some stuff. Uh, We many times think we are stronger than we are. We might commend Peter in that, right? Listen, you know what? I'm glad Peter had resolve. I'm glad Peter had commitment to the Lord. His determination is admirable. His commitment is commendable, even enviable. The problem was that Peter and the others, they didn't know what they were about to face. They didn't know that Jesus and his, Jesus' life would be on the line. Listen, they didn't know that within 24 hours... Their own life would be on the line, depending on what they said. They they didn't know that all of these followers who had loved Jesus and followed him everywhere, all of Jerusalem had turned on him and that they would be after them. And therefore, the disciples overestimated their own spiritual resolve. They overestimated their own, what they could handle. What they could handle versus what they ended up handling were two different things. Amen? They overestimated their commitment and what they'd be able to stand up against. Friends, just like the disciples, just like Peter, if we're not careful, we will overestimate our own ability, our own capability, our own spiritual resolve, our own commitment, our own spirituality. And I believe the reason we do that is that is a tendency of us as Christians, as believers, to think we can do more than maybe we actually can. Uh, Recently, how many of y'all waste time on your phone? Nobody's going to admit that. Raise your hand. If you've got a phone, your hand ought to be up. All right? There you go. I know you've got your Bible app open now. Praise God. But, but, but we waste, you know, listen, and so sometimes, you know, one of the things that I've recently um, found myself doing in my free time um, is on YouTube watching videos of, of, of random people who, uh, and their shortcomings or failures. These things are funny sometimes, amen? You know? People try to people try to do things, and they, they have confidence in themselves, and they try to jump a uh, you know try to jump over a creek or ride a bicycle and jump cars or or do a flip off of a trampoline under their house or 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 you know whatever it might be. In fact, I've got one for you this morning. Okay, so I want you to watch this with just about thirty seconds, maybe not even that. Here's a guy trying to. Um, to you know how in I forget Norway or somewhere you know where they use a pole to do creek jumping. There's a history behind that. I just everybody see? Do I need to bend down? All right, y'all watch this real quick. All right, this will be pretty short. This guy's going to jump this creek. <laughs> he's getting up his confidence, and he's going to do it. What happened, right? What happened? Um, You know, we get up these things, we think we can do something. We can jump this creek or ride this bike or ride this skateboard or what else. And then we end up, we fail, we fall, we slip, we slide. And it's often funny, right? 
Sometimes even winceable, you're like, oh, that had to hurt. But friends, many times, what causes people to do these things? It is confidence or overconfidence in themselves that they can do something like that, right? That guy was probably a little too old to be pole jumping over a creek. They, people overestimate their own ability, friends, and are overconfident. And you know what? The same thing often happens to us, even spiritually. And unfortunately, and even morally too, and unfortunately many times it leads to our demise. Um, we think things like, um, how could that guy, do that guy who had that public disgrace, how could he do that? How, in the, how could he allow himself to be in that situation? How could he do that? Then we, then we end up doing something similar. How could she allow herself to do that? How could she allow herself to think that? How could she allow herself to be put into that situation? How could she get in a bad place like that? And then we end up doing something very similar or the exact same thing. Friends, here's the warning I think we need to understand, we need to take from the text today is spiritual failure is often preceded by overconfidence in ourselves and our ability to hold on to the Lord, to do what we think. Here's how, instead of being overconfident, you know how I believe what our attitude should be? You've heard it said like this before. Except for the grace of God, so go I. Except for the grace of God, friends, that could happen to me. That person that, that failed, that faltered, that found themselves in that situation, that did that, whatever, you know what? Except for the grace of God, I could have gone down a similar path and I could find myself in the same boat. Friends, when we're not willing to acknowledge that simple fact, then, then we are overconfident, friends, and that can be a problem, amen? You know what overconfidence indicates, I believe? I believe it indicates that our faith is more in ourselves than it is in the Lord. Our faith is in Jesus, amen? And his holding on to us, friends, we need to not be overconfident in ourselves. Be willing to recognize and acknowledge your shortcomings. Realize how vulnerable we all are to spiritual or moral failure. And that each one of us has a sin nature and is capable. Listen, there is no, nothing out there that has been done that you, that you and I are not capable of. And it's not until we realize that that we begin to walk in spiritual victory. Friends, we need to realize that our failures often begin with overconfidence in ourselves. Number two. The second acknowledgement that we see in our text today that I believe um, we need to make, we need to except in order to walk in spiritual victory is this. It is that our spirit is often what? Willing, but our flesh is very weak. The spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Listen, the reality is oftentimes we want to do the right thing. Amen. We want to respond in the right way. We want to live up to who we're supposed to be. We want to be a good Christian. We want to honor the Lord, but... For whatever reason, we just end up not doing that. We end up doing the opposite of what we want to do. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, right? That which I wish to do, I did not do. And that which I wish I did not do, I did. What's going on there? We find ourselves doing the wrong thing, friends. And the question is why? Look at what happens next in our text today. Look at verse 36. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. 
So the disciples walking, they come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Gethsemane means um, oil press. It was a, a garden of olive trees. And evidently, it was a place where Jesus went often with his disciples, um, most likely to pray. And here, and that's why, as, as kind of get into past the text we're going to look at this morning, but that's why Judas knew where to find them, even though Jesus didn't say, hey, we're going here. Um, it, it was a place they went. So Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So here he is with the 11, all but Peter, James, and John, he tells to sit there. And verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So Jesus asked them to simply sit and keep watch for it with him. He left um, most of the disciples kind of at, at the edge. They, they go deeper into the garden, and he leaves Peter, James, and John for him to go further and to pray. He says, watch. We're going to see here in a minute. He says, watch and pray while I go to do business with my father. Remember, he had spent this night there around the table at the Passover talking to them about what was about to happen. Now, they still didn't get it fully, but he was teaching them, and he was talking to them about what happened. Later on, things would click, um, but they had to know that something serious was about to go on. Jesus says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And verse 39 says, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. Now, we'll come back here in a few minutes to what he says there in verse 39. But it, So he goes to pray. Verse 40 says, then he came to the disciples. So he went to pray. He took some time, a little while there to pray. He was just praying to the Father. After a little while, he comes back to, to the disciples to, to check on them. It says, and he, what, found them sleeping. And said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Peter, James, John, what are you doing? You've fallen asleep. He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now listen, I, I don't believe the sleeping was the sin, right? What was the sin? It was not watching and praying. Sleeping is a natural tendency. I believe it was the watching and the praying. But Jesus here says then to them, and I don't, I don't believe Jesus even said this harshly. I believe he said this probably with tenderness, almost kind of, you know, in the South, we have a saying, bless your heart, bless his heart. Um, Jesus says the spirit indeed is willing, but what the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, verse 42, it says he went and prayed. So Jesus gone to pray, he spent some time, comes back, finds them asleep. He goes a second time to keep praying. We'll come back to what he says, what he's praying there in just a moment. Verse 43 tells us, and he came back again and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Listen, sometimes sleep just comes over us, right? Some of you ought to be shaking your heads. Yeah, pastor. Yeah, exactly. Like during your sermons. <laughs> Sorry, pastor, I just couldn't stay awake. Well, you know, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow night at 9 o'clock, I'm going to preach all night long so you can get a good night's sleep. Okay? 
Every night I'm going to be here from 9 to 8, and I'm going to preach all night long so you guys can sleep well. So on Sunday morning, we're good. I'm just kidding. Verse 44, so he left them, went away again, and prayed for the third time. Come back to that again in a minute. Verse 45, then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. Judas was there with the soldiers right next to arrest him. Friends, but they could not resist the urge, that physical weariness that came over them. Now, lest we point fingers at the disciples, no doubt you and I would have done the exact same thing. Don't point, don't look at them and say, how could they do that? They're with Jesus. How could they fall asleep? You and I probably would have done the exact same thing and have probably done worse things. And Jesus knew it. That's why he says there, I believe in verse 41, that the spirit is willing. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to pray and watch out for him, but the flesh is weak. Friends, we need to understand that. Jesus knew that in and of ourselves, even when we want to do what's right, we have this flesh and its weaknesses, friends, that we have to deal with. And along with it, a sinful nature that often pulls us towards wrong. That's exactly what happened to the disciples here. And it's exactly what oftentimes happens to us. You know, when we look at their fleshly failure here in the garden, um, I believe what it really was was a warning to them. I, because, listen, they fell asleep and they didn't watch and, watch and pray as Jesus. I believe it was a warning of their failure to come in denying him. Friends, we need to take the warnings that Jesus gives us. Amen? We need to be aware of how weak our flesh is. And not be like Peter or the, I'll never do that. Not me. I'm with you to the end, Jesus. I'll never have that moral failure. I'll never do this. I'll never. It is overconfidence that, that precedes spiritual failure. And so we need to beware. Amen. And that should lead us to put safeguards into place. Overconfidence says, you know what? I don't need to worry about that. I can handle it. I don't need to I don't need to be concerned about that in my life. You don't know. I have victory in that area. I'm walking with you. I don't have any problems. I don't need to, I don't need to worry about that. Listen, spiritual maturity says, you know what? I don't want to end up there. So I need to put some safeguards into place in my life. Maybe, maybe for you it's in an area of sexual sin. Maybe, you know, uh, you know we ought to make rules for ourselves about, about our phones, about our computer, about, about what we look at, all that, so that we won't end up crossing the line. Amen? We need to make rules for ourselves. Um, we, ought to, we ought to allow someone else to have access to our phone at any time they want, whether that be your parents, teenagers, and kids. If you're kids, you're, it's going to happen, <laughs> right? Or, or even moms and dads, your spouse, to keep you accountable. Maybe for you is having an accountability partner or a rule that you don't be on the computer at a certain time of day or when um, at certain vulnerable times. Maybe for you the temptation is in the area of, of debt and you need to make a rule not to have any credit cards. Dave Ramsey, right? 
Or, or maybe for you, it is you need to set up limits and prohibitions with the credit card companies or the credit agencies to put protections into place. Or maybe you need to voluntarily let someone else monitor your bank account so that you don't sin in that area and get into trouble. Or maybe for you, it's not any one of those things, but it's something else. Maybe it's with how you spend your time. Maybe you need to set rules for yourself about how much time you spend on Facebook or Snapchat or XYZ. And maybe you need to set the amount of time you are going to spend in Bible study and quiet time and in church and ask somebody else to hold you accountable. Hope that was the alarm to read the Bible. Why? So that you won't drift in your walk with the Lord. Now, I know what some of you might be saying. Pastor, that seems awfully legalistic to me, right? We're free in Christ, Pastor. Friend, listen to me for just a minute. Legalism has to do with trying to hold others to rules we feel convicted about. Understand me? Legalism has to do with, with holding others to the standard that we feel convicted about. Okay, the Bible is not specific about this, but I feel convicted about that. And because I feel convicted about that, you ought to do that too. That's legalism. That's not what we're talking about here. Friends, setting rules for ourselves so that we don't cross into sin is not legalism. It's smart. It's, and it's a part of living holy for the Lord. Listen, it's not legalism. It's listening to the Holy Spirit. And letting him lead you and guide you and help you set up boundaries in your life. It's, it's not legalism. It's a recognition that I, the flesh is weak and I need to put protections into place. Amen? I need boundaries in my life that are set back from the line of God's boundaries. Because, you know what we tend to do? If this is the line, what do we tend to do as, as, as human beings? We tend to walk what? Right up to that line. We might even hang over the line. Sometimes we intentionally walk over the line, but you know what happens when you get that close to the line? I've come close to this several times, right? Sometimes accidentally we fall in over the line. You know how to make sure we don't fall over the line? We draw our own line back from God's lines. Why? Why should we do that? Pastor, that's legalism. I'm not going to do that. Setting rules in my life like that's legalistic. It restricts my freedom, Pastor. I'm free in Christ. Yes, you are free in Christ, but what does it mean to be free in Christ? Does it mean to have no restraints? Friends, we set boundaries in our life because we want to honor the Lord, because we don't want to be one of those who it's on the front page of the newspaper, right? Who accidentally or even maybe purposefully steps over. Friends, the truth is that putting safeguards in place in our life is the only way true freedom can be experienced. Let me just give you a very simple, quick illustration to, take for, to show you what I'm talking about. How many of you heard of pastor, author Tim Keller before? Heard of Tim Keller? I know some of you have. Tim Keller gives this illustration. He says, think of a fish. A fish breathes oxygen, not through air, but through what? Water. Fish absorbs oxygen from the water, not air. 
And therefore, a fish is only free if it is in water. Now, let's say a fish decided he wanted to be out of water. Or you or your kid decided, you know what? I believe this fish is constrained to this fishbowl. They ought to be free to do whatever they want. And you take that fish out of the fishbowl or out of the river or whatever, and you set that fish on the grass. What happens? It's freedom to move. And even his freedom to live is soon destroyed, isn't it? The fish is not more free outside of the water. It is less free if it cannot even swim around and breathe. The same is true with, say, airplanes. You know, mankind can do lots of awesome things. We build airplanes. And as long as we build airplanes to uh, observe the laws and rules of aerodynamics... They soar, right? They fly. They get us to where we want to go. The first time they, something breaks or, a, or, or the tail doesn't work right and it breaks the law of aerodynamics, what happens? And friends, the same is true in our lives. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions or restraints. Friends, freedom is finding the right restrictions and restraints that help us live as God intended. God gives us those things for a reason. And when we, when we observe them, they help us to do something that we just looked at that we cannot do in and of ourselves, and that is helps us keep our flesh in check, which will keep us from spiritual failure and help us live in spiritual victory. Amen? That's often why we don't live in spiritual victory, because we're overconfident, because we don't realize the draw and the power that our flesh has over us. That leads us to number three. The third acknowledgement, friends, that we need to make in order to walk in spiritual victory. First, we need to acknowledge that our failures often begin with overconfidence. Second, that our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And third, that spiritual victory only comes when we surrender our will to the Father's. It only comes when we surrender our will to his. Started out defining spiritual victory for you this morning and talking about that it is an ultimate peace of mind with God and the circumstances of life, uh, our life and the lives around us. You see, the reason we don't end up with peace of mind is because we argue with God. We argue with God because we think we know better. God, why'd you allow this to happen? God, what are you doing here? God, I don't like that you did this. God, I don't see why you would allow this. And And we do all of those things, friends. Why? Because we think we know better. The problem is that we want to live in spiritual victory. We try to live in spiritual victory, but we often don't, friends, because we want to, we want to be God instead of letting him be God. I want you to notice what Jesus says as he prays to the Father here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at verse 39. Verse 39, as Jesus left the disciples to watch and pray, says he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father. Remember, he, um, Jesus is preparing here for what he's about to go through. The betrayal, the suffering, and ultimately the cross, the crucifixion. He says, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, what's going on here? Is Jesus afraid to go through all of that? Is he afraid of the pain that he's going to go through? Is he afraid of death? 
I don't believe that's what's going through at all. Friends, Jesus is not a chicken, amen? He's not a coward. We know the end. We know he went to the cross. That's not what's going on here. Well, then, Pastor, what is going on here? Um, He says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What does he mean by this cup? Um, Jesus says, let this cup. What does he mean by that? What what that? What is he referring to? Is he talking about the physical suffering that he was going to go through? Is he talking about the mocking and the beatings and the pain? Let this be taken from me? I don't believe so, friends. Uh, as David Platt so aptly points out, in the Old Testament, the cup is a symbol, is a metaphor for God's wrath. I want you to look at a couple of verses with me here on the screen this morning. Psalm 75 says this, says, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another for in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup. The wine is red. It is fully mixed and he pours it out. Surely it's dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. It's talking about the cup of God's wrath that those who are wicked will have to drink all of it. The next verse here is Jeremiah 25 says this, for thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, Jeremiah says, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I'm going to send you to drink it. They will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. What's the cup? The cup is a metaphor. It symbolizes God's wrath and here specifically to the nations that Jeremiah was to go prophesy to. Even in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 14, says this. If you look at the bold part there, it says, if anyone worships the beast in his image, he's talking about end times, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Friends, so what we see here is that the cup is a metaphor for God's wrath. And when we go back to our text this morning and what Jesus was praying, I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, if it be possible, if there is any other way, what does he say there? Let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of having to receive your wrath Jesus taking on and becoming sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took upon himself the the wrath of God upon all of our sin. And Jesus knew that. And here he's praying to the Father. Now listen, I don't believe he's praying that really for his sake. I believe he's praying that for our sake. So that we would know there is no other way. It's not possible, for right? There's no other way to satisfy the wrath of God other than the Son of God to take that wrath upon himself. Jesus is agony and praying in the garden because look at what he says here. The, ne- the very next thing he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I think we see here Jesus' humanness. The temptation that he was going through was real. Jesus was in his humanness, in his flesh, didn't, wanna, didn't want 
to go through what he was about to go through. He didn't want to be that separation and the wrath of God poured out on the cross upon him. Yet he submits himself to the Father, not as I will, but as you will. Amen? So even in his human state of anxiety, Jesus submits his will to the Father's will. He goes and checks on the disciples, comes back a second time in verse 42, and prays, O Father, if this cup, this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Right? So he's not, he's not saying, listen, I'm going to do this unless you do. No, it's your will be done. In verse 44, it says again, he went away again and prayed a third time saying the same words. Jesus clearly underwent temptation here, friends, but he does not succumb. What does he do? He submits his will to that of the Father. Friends, I believe it is right there that Calvary was won. Amen? J. Vernon McGee puts it this way. He said, I think it was there at Gethsemane that Jesus won the victory of Calvary. Friends, our ultimate spiritual victory, our salvation came through Jesus' submission to the will of the Father. What did he pray in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Now get real slow here. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's my question to you this morning. Is that your prayer in your life? Thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Friends, Jesus was willing to go to the cross. He was willing to take the wrath of the Father, the wrath of God upon, on sin upon himself, and submit himself to the Father's will. Friends, the same principle applies to us. Our victory doesn't come by standing stronger, even though the Scripture commands us to stand strong. Our victory doesn't come in our resolve, even though we ought to be resolved. You know where our victory comes? Our victory comes through Jesus' submission to the Father on the cross and our submission to him. What's our temptation? The temptation is to resist that, amen? The temptation is to resist that because we're scared of what that might mean for us. Because we're scared of, of what might God, God might ask of us. Friends, and the reality is that submission to him and his will is the only way true freedom is experienced. We talk about spiritual victory as the ultimate peace of mind with God in the circumstances of our life and, and, and how all that fits together. That comes when we stop arguing with God. We stop fighting with God. When we submit, okay, God, okay, God, I give it to you. 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 Friends, it's one of the great paradoxes of scripture. Spiritual victory actually comes through spiritual surrender. I don't know how many of you, I want to close with this story. Um, how many of you have heard of a guy by the name of Nick Vujicic? Anybody know who Nick Vujicic is? You might recognize him when I put this on the screen. In 1982, Nick Vujicic was born with a condition called Tetra Amelia Syndrome. It is a rare genetic disorder in which Nick has no arms and no legs. 
although he has two small feet attached to his torso. Growing up, as you can imagine, Nick struggled emotionally and physically to accept his condition. But today, as a follower of Christ, Nick has what he calls a ridiculously good life. Yeah, that's right. This guy. Nick writes, he says, when I'm asked how I can claim a ridiculously good life when I have no arms and no legs, he says, people assume that I'm suffering from what I lack. They inspect my body and wonder how I could possibly give my life to God who allowed me to be born without limbs. Others have attempted to soothe me, he says, by saying that God has all the answers and that when I'm in heaven, I will find out his intentions. He says, I choose instead to live by what the Bible says today, which is that God is the answer today, yesterday, and forever. He says, when people read about my life or witness me living it, they are prone to congratulate me for being victorious over my disabilities. I want you to listen. He says, I tell them that my victory, victory actually came in surrender. He says, it actually comes every day when I acknowledge that I can't do this on my own and I surrender to God and say, God, I give this day to you. Once I yielded, he says, the Lord took my pain and turned it into something good. He gave my life meaning when no one and nothing else could provide it. He says, and if God can take someone like me, someone without arms and legs, and use me as his hands and feet, he can use anybody. It's not about ability, friends. The only thing God needs from you is a willing heart. The key to spiritual victory is surrender to the Lord and his will. And I'm not just talking about salvation. Yeah, if you're listening today, if you're watching online and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, if you've never trusted the gospel, the truth that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, that he rose from the grave to give you new life, if you've never trusted that and him as Savior, then surrender to to trusting in that today. Amen. Do that today. You need to. But friends, even for those of you who have already trusted him as as Savior, who are not walking in spiritual victory. You know, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about deconstruction. I read an article just this week um, about a guy who was a pastor who has deconstructed his faith and now says he's an atheist. Why? And, and, and the article went through talking about the things that, that people were asking him online, why he did that, and how did he end up there, and what led him there, and all that kind of stuff. And the things that did were things that really didn't have anything to do with him, but they were things out there that he could not reconcile, and that were, were unsettling to him. Can I just tell you something? We are never going to reconcile everything out there in our minds. It's not going to happen because when we reconcile everything out there in our minds, that makes us God and him not. The book of Isaiah says that God's ways are higher than our ways. And that what that simply means is that we're not always going to understand everything and we're not always going to have an answer for everything. But here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's son stepped out of heaven to become a baby, to live a sinless life, to willingly go to the cross and suffer and die for me, to take my place so that I could be reconciled to him. And I trust that. 
and I trust that God's word, it gives me answers for what I need. Amen? Does that mean I don't still have questions? Sure, I think we all have questions. That's okay. That's what it means to have faith. I trust that even though I don't have all the answers, I trust that God does. And I trust my life and my eternity into his hands. So friends, would you today not just surrender your life, but would you surrender your thoughts? Would you surrender your mind, your intellect, your beliefs, your what-ifs, your worry, your future, your marriage, your finances, even your doubts to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that you know all things. And even when we don't understand, even when we don't have the answers, that we can trust that you do. Nothing surprises you. Nothing is out of your control. Nothing has got you befuddled. We trust that you've got this. Lord, today I want to pray for those who are here, those who are watching online, who are struggling, maybe struggling, have not made the, that step in salvation and and, and being saved and trusting you as Savior, I pray today that they, you would give them the, the courage to take that step and just to put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I, I pray for those who are struggling with the what-ifs, maybe struggling with doubts, struggling with things that they can't reconcile in their own mind. Lord, I pray, Lord, as you reveal yourself to them, that they would be able to just surrender it to you. Friend, as you're here today, you're watching online. I don't know what it is in your mind, in your head, in your life that you need to do that with, surrender, but would you? Would you right now say, Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I have questions. Lord, I don't know why this has happened. Lord, I don't like that this has happened. But today, I surrender it to you. I'm going to stop trying to be God, and I'm going to let you be Lord of my life. Lord, you hear the prayers that come out to you today. Thank you for your word, for your spirit that works within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.